You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Spiritual well-being and health of our kids and their families, I just do right now. Uh, I know it's supernatural. I know there's something going on. God is doing something, and, and he's using young. He's using the young. I mean children, uh, young believers, talking about those that are young at heart. Uh, there's such a clarity that's coming from their life right now. Uh, they're, they're bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that's clear and passionate and committed. And I love to see that, especially in those that are young. Something is happening. So moms and dads, continue to do what you're doing. At the end of this message, I'm going to give you a few instructions, uh, maybe a little help on how you can continue to nurture the work of Jesus Christ in their life. But before we go any further, I want to do this. I want you to stand with me. Annette, would you come up here? We're going to pray over our kids right now in Jesus' name. We're going to pray over our families. This has been pretty familiar to you lately. We want to continue to do it. So, Father, we just pray in the awesome, powerful name of Jesus that you would continue to work in our children, work in our families, work in our homes, Lord Jesus, that you would do an amazing thing in the relationships that we have, that we would honor you, that we would lift you up. Lord, we thank you for this generation that's coming up. We thank you for the passion. We thank you for the clarity they have in their heart, the conviction of Jesus Christ to follow him. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say amen. 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 Give another applause. Would you do that? Thanks, Annette. Well, since the kids have been with us this morning, we're going to have a little more fun together. I don't know if you recall when you were a kid those uh, occasions when you had a showdown with the other neighborhood kids. It's, uh, it's kind of like the classic sandlot, one of, my, one of my favorite of all times. And there are certain words and phrases that we spoke to try to intimidate the neighborhood arch rivals. You know, little gems that we picked up from our older siblings, our neighborhood kids, and phrases like, my dad is stronger than your dad. You probably heard that, you know. And when the verbal arsenal is pretty low, you yell something like, uh, your mom wears combat boots, you know, something like that. Now, I know, I know that's old. I know that's an old one. But there have been a few of them that have made their way into the classics. I mean, they've made their way, and I'll tell you, they're classics that you can pull out of your verbal arsenal when you have confrontations with others. There are famous sayings that have stood the test of time. Clint Eastwood's, go ahead and make my day. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger says, I'll be back. Um, but there's one that you've probably heard, one that a lot of us have heard. I know I grew up with it, and it's the phrase, take your best shot. I mean, when you really are into it. I mean, when you really want confrontation and you know it's going to happen, that's a phrase that you use. Well, it occurred to me reading the story of the Holy Week, going through the Gospels this last few days, I realize that there are people and events that took place during that time, beginning with the Palm Sunday. There's a sense that you're hearing that kind of phrase from a lot of different people, from a lot of different groups. A lot of sources are saying to Jesus, we're going to take our best shot. And we see that. We see that when it begins Palm Sunday, and it says this in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. The next day, the great crowd had come for the festival. They heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches. They went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. 
Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. And as it is written, he says this, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, there's another part of this story of Palm Sunday that isn't in the Gospel of John. In fact, it's found in the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to bring that in to the story that we have today. It's Matthew 21, 15. It says, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw this wonderful thing of Jesus coming in and people worshiping him, the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now, what's about to happen to Jesus wasn't the first time that the enemy tried to take his best shot. If you look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, what you read about there is this string of temptations that Satan put before Jesus. Jesus faces each one with strength and with God's word, and Jesus wins. But the, the, the series of temptations end with an interesting statement. It says this, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And for the next three years, we really don't see the enemy. We don't see visibly the enemy trying to take over and overthrow Jesus. We don't see it until Holy Week when it says in John 13, 27, that Satan entered Judas and Judas betrayed Jesus. Once again, Satan becomes active. It's like he ignites this short fuse, which takes just a few days to burn down and then explode. And then what happens after that is this chain reaction that moved from Judas to other kinds of people. People who are watching this, the last week of Jesus' life, and they're having to make decisions about what to do with Jesus, all trying to take their best shot. There was the first group of people that you notice in the Palm Sunday stories and everything around it is you notice that there are enemies of Jesus. They were the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders. They wanted Jesus out. They didn't want him around anymore. And they were like cheerleaders and instigators of anyone who would come alongside them. When you read in John 12, 19, just after the triumphal entry, it says, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And here's where their hatred led just a few days later. In Matthew chapter 27, it says, But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who was called the Messiah? Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. They don't even answer the question. They just keep yelling louder and louder, crucify him, crucify him. You see this, this group that stood before Pilate, and to me it represents the hearts of people who are hardened against Jesus Christ. People who are hardened against Jesus being their Lord and Savior, against the real purposes of God. You see that here in this crowd all together, a concentrated group of evil and cruelness, all gathered to yell, crucify him. This has no rhyme or reason to me when I read this story, when I read about the life of Jesus, I recognize for three years all they heard, all they had seen in the life of Jesus was something about life. He continued to bring life giving life. For three years, Jesus pulled them into his heart. For three years, he taught them. For three years, he healed them. 
for three years, he had nothing but compassion. And now, now what we're hearing, crucify him, crucify him. It doesn't get any uglier than that. This is as ugly as humans can be. You see, when a person chooses to resist God over time, really, over time they resist and they push away and they continue to push even further, harder and harder from Jesus Christ. To me, this crowd is a perfect example of what happens to many of our hearts when we say no to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We continue to push him away, getting further and further. These people are as angry as any human group can be. They are angry, they are mad, and here's the scary thing. They're willing to accept any consequence for their actions. That, that, that's what you look at. That's what you see here. Why? Because they only want one thing, one thing only. They want to see Jesus dead. I guess what bothers me is how evil and how cruel these people really are. But when I take a deep dive into this passage of Scripture, what bothers me even more is that I could have been in that crowd. You know, there's enough evil in me. There's enough rebellion in me. I could have joined the crowd and I could have yelled just as loud as the next, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The evidence I have in my own life is I know there have been moments where that has risen up. I know that there have been moments where I've asked Jesus to help me out of the mess that I created and I didn't. I didn't follow him. There have been times when I think most of us can identify with the fact that we have something in mind for Jesus to do. We want him to carry out a plan, a plan of ours, and he doesn't fulfill our plans, our dreams. What takes place is that overwhelming anger that stirs from deep within. There's that anger. There's that cruelness. We can see it. But with all that, with the evil, with the disobedience, with the cruelness, Jesus turns, he looks at us, and he says, forgive them. For they know not what they do. You know, Jesus has said that to you. He said that to me. That's the first group. It's the enemies of Jesus. But there's a second group. The second group of people were the disciples of Jesus. The people who were his closest allies for over three years. And what did they do? What did they do at these crucial moments that Jesus faced the last week of his life? Well, we know they betrayed him. They denied him and they ran away from him. That's what took place, and you can see that in John, the gospel of John, chapter 13. Verse 26, it says, Jesus answered, It is the one whom I will give this piece of bread, and when I dip it into this dish, and then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, Go and do what you need to do, and do it quickly. The betrayer. But right on the heels of that, you just go down a few more verses and you see the denier. You hear what happens to Peter. Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then even after the resurrection, that group that was following Jesus, some knew but couldn't comprehend what had taken place in John chapter 20. They're all huddled in a room, and it says this, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. Why did they abandon Jesus? Why did they leave him? I think the thing that comes to mind 
most often is for almost all of us, it probably has a lot to do with fear. It's found here in John 20, 19. Notice that phrase again with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. It's fear. It's fear then and it's fear now that keeps us from fulfilling the total and perfect will of God in our lives. Fear of people, fear of circumstances, fear of the things that are going on around us. We see that. That's what stands between us and Jesus. These were men and women who once had great vision for God's work. They were passionate about following Jesus Christ. And now the vision is gone and fear has taken its place. This is what happens when you lose your vision. This is what happens when you lose your passion for God. You become fearful. See, fear is that great disruptor of God's will in your life. Not only the disruptor of great things God wants to do in your life, but a disruptor of just daily obedience to Jesus Christ. Just following him every single day. Fear wants to come in and take its best shot. Best shot at you like he took its best shot at the disciples. Fear does that. Wanting you to hide behind closed doors. And your only thought is how do I survive? How do I preserve what I have? What little I have left in life? That's what people do. That's what churches do. Churches do that when they lose their vision for the things that matter to Jesus. What do they do? They close their doors. They close their doors to those who need Jesus the most. And they don't think about who's out there. They don't think about the go in the Great Commission. It just becomes about huddling together, hiding out. They're busy hiding out. People of vision who are committed to building God's kingdom, they don't hide behind closed doors. They don't hide behind locked doors. Believers with vision don't lock their doors. Believers with vision leave their doors wide open, and they invite the whosoever will come, let them come. They're not afraid. They just know that Jesus has redemption in mind. They know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful than any fear that can be conjured in our own heart or spirit. They open the doors with no judgment, and they say, come on in with mercy. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. Doors open so the followers of Jesus Christ can bust out into the streets, and they can bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to whoever will listen. They know that they can make a difference in the generation that they're part of. I want to say this for many of us today that might be living behind locked doors. You might be angry at God, and God, he loves you, and he can handle that. God's strong enough to deal with our anger. He did that for me. If your faith has gone through a serious test and you don't know whether or not you're going to make it, whether or not you're going to survive, Jesus will show up. He will provide a way. He will do something that is miraculous that you can only attribute to him. That when you look at your life, you know that there was no way out of the situation you were in. You get down the road a few days and you think that had to be a miracle. That's Jesus. He's provided a way. And he always will provide a way. There's one more group that I want to mention this morning. It's the last group of people who were present at Palm Sunday. It was the little children. And surprisingly or not, the Bible doesn't record their struggles with Jesus. And that might be because they had no struggle with Jesus. Isn't that interesting? 
Maybe that's why Jesus said, unless you become like one of these, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 21, 15, I read it a little earlier. It says, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Why is this so important to the message today? Why is it so important to the enemy taking his best shots? Well, if you go to Psalm 8, verse 2, you realize the importance. You realize the importance of what happened here on Palm Sunday, and you realize the importance of what we just did here on Palm Sunday. Listen to what it says. It says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established strongholds against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. That's amazing to me. So what we witnessed here today was worship. And what does worship do from the mouths of children? It creates a stronghold against the enemy, against our foes. That's what's amazing. The praise and worship of our children isn't just child's play. On the contrary, through the praise and worship of our children, God establishes a stronghold against the enemy when he takes his best shot at you and me. Think back uh, just a few minutes ago when our children led us in worship. That wasn't just cute or adorable. It was. It was all of those things. But that was spiritual warfare. That was exactly what was happening. Seems so innocent, doesn't it? So, so kind. So nice. And it is. But it's warfare. Psalm 8, 2 gives us that prophetic utterance. It's speaking to us today. The words here are alive in our hearts and our ears. But it was also a prophetic utterance of what was going to take place on that first Palm Sunday when children would sing praises. I wonder how that felt and landed in the heart of Jesus Christ. Hearing that, encouraging him. Knowing that the children would follow. Knowing that the children were paying attention. That's what was happening. Parents and grandparents, I think there are a few ways that all of us can nurture and we also can learn from our children. And I want to give you just a few thoughts that I know Annette and I try to live by. Every single day we, we think about you, we think about your children, your families, we think about our children, our families. There are four things that I've listed here that I think we can do to just nurture them. Number one, cultivate an atmosphere of worship in your home. Would you do that? I know that uh, in our house, uh, uh, Annette is so vigilant. We hear worship when we wake up. We hear worship when we go to bed. We hear worship when we walk in the house. There's worship playing constantly. And then we worship. That you can hear our, even our grandkids start to sing songs because worship is something that we desire to have in our home. And we do that because we know there's constant warfare. We know that our children are constantly being bombarded by other thoughts other purposes, other things that the enemy wants to, with our children, take his best shot. And when we create an atmosphere of worship in our home, what does it do? It creates a stronghold against the enemy, our foe, and the avenger. That's what happens when we worship Jesus. Cultivate that in your home. Worship in your home. Number two, experience faith journeys together. Bring your kids along. Don't keep them from experiencing the miracles of God in your family, in your life. Bring them to the places where you're challenged. Whether you aren't making it 
at the end of the month financially, whether you have a healing that needs to be prayed for, whether there's something in your home that seems to be impossible, bring your children on that journey. Let them pray with you. Let them pray for you. Let them pray over whatever it is that you face. I know there have been several times in our own home where the answer has come from our children. Something that seemed to be impossible. And we just listened. And from the mouth of babes, we heard an answer to what we needed the most. Bring your kids along with you. Don't keep them from what we think are adult things at times. We want to bring them in and say, what do you think? Can you pray? Can you be part of this? Number three, affirm the call of God in their life. Please do that. Today, I want to just encourage parents and grandparents, when you, when you recognize God's call on their life, talk to them about it. Find different ways to encourage that. I think one of the things that we're facing today, and most of us know, is there is definitely a, a, a drop in people following Jesus Christ. We've seen the, the, we've seen the polls. We know that. And I think where it might even begin is in the home where we have been hesitant to talk to our children about following Jesus Christ, about being a servant of Jesus Christ. Let that be something that's a headline in your house. We here serve Jesus Christ. As for me and my household, we will serve him and we will follow him. So affirm the call of God. Encourage them to follow Jesus as a priority. And the fourth is this. Reinforce their Jesus identity. Would you do that? Tell them. Tell them. That Jesus is the center of their life. Tell them that that's their identity. It isn't the culture they're in. It isn't what the culture says they are. It's what God's word says they are. And that you would seek God's wisdom. That you would search God's word. And you would find places in scripture where you can talk to your children about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I think one of the greatest things that we read in the Gospels and in the epistles is where the Apostle Paul identifies himself this way. He says, I am a bond slave of Jesus Christ. That is who I am. I'm not a captor of the Roman government. I'm not captive to their prisons. I'm not, I'm not any of those things. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, when our kids get a hold of that, when they're grafted into the vine that way, there's such strength that comes. I say all this as someone who journeys with you. All this is someone who's fighting the same fight, the same battle over our kids, over our grandkids, over the community that we're part of here, that we want to be strong and that we want to face every one of the best shots the enemy has to us and we want to be victor. We want to be victorious in all of it. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? amen. Would you bow your head with me just for a moment? I'm going to invite our worship team forward and we're going to pray and we're going to continue our time together just sharing the Lord's table with one another. Father, I want to thank you today for your great work in our lives and that you're, you're, continue, you're continuing to be on the move. Your Holy Spirit leads us. Your Holy Spirit guides us. We're so thankful for that today. And Lord, we're just so thankful for our children and what you're doing in and through them these days, the days that we live. Continue to strengthen them. 
Give them eyes to see, ears to hear what you're about. Lead them, guide them by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, once again, we pray over our families, our homes, our relationships, that you would continue to do a good work. Lord, as we come together, as we come together as a community to share in the body and blood and what represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, would you continue to strengthen us? Make us strong, Lord Jesus. We are so grateful. We're grateful that you died and you rose again to give us everlasting life. That we would be clear about the message of Jesus Christ. That we would not hesitate. That we would not be fearful when it comes time for us to be accountable to speak the name of Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for your good work. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. We're going to continue to worship together. And as we do, why don't you go ahead and stand? And what you're going to find is you're going to find our communion elements over on each table, one over there, one there, two in the back. If you'd like to take those elements, bring them back to your seat, share them with each other, share them with family or friends, feel free to do that. But as you do, would you remember this? The bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. And it's his broken body that has given us a way, has made a way for us to have a relationship with our Father in heaven. And when you take the cup, would you remember that the cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ? And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that brings forgiveness of sin to all of us. Would you do that keeping in mind that what you're doing now is you're continuing to worship. You're continuing to worship with our children. And in doing so, you're creating a stronghold against the enemy, against your foe, against the avenger. And we do all this in Jesus' name. Let's continue to worship the Lord together.
listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.